The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley, Jen Sinassi, and Wendy O. We are The Hash. All right, <laughs> let's go talk about some stuff. Wendy. We have to talk about somebody's, um, a famous person in our industry's hair. Just kidding, we're not talking about his hair. We're talking about his scandalous behavior because apparently... U.S. criminal charges against Sam Bankman-Fried don't warrant dismissal, prosecutors say. So basically, his lawyers tried to get criminal charges dismissed, and these include technicalities around his extradition back to the United States of America and campaign finance violations. In May, he filed pretrial motions to dismiss most charges against him. His defense argued procedural issues, the relevance of some U.S. laws given FTX's non-U.S. location, and that charges exceeded the great agreed extradition terms. I actually want to toss this to Jen. Um, I know your hand was up, Zach, but um, I'm going to toss it to Jen because she's our legal person. And, and I have nice hair today. But she has better hair mm. than you. <laughs> sure, sure. Zach's got good hair. I don't know. Yeah, that, I, it's true. I can't, I can't beat Zach on, on the hair. hair. Thanks, Will. All right, let's get into the story. You know, I think Sam Bankman-Fried has a good legal team. He understands what's going on. His parents are lawyers. And so we're going to see them kind of pick apart the technicalities of what's going on. I wasn't surprised to see that they didn't stick because what he is alleged of committing are really serious crimes that affected a lot of people. We're dealing with a large amount of money here, and I don't think it's going to go away based on some technicalities but i do think that we can expect the team to continue to like throw the ball see what sticks see what kind of charges they can get thrown out i just don't think it's gonna work for sam eggman freed he is accused of some pretty serious crimes zach lawyers gonna lawyer that's what i see when i see this story they're gonna lawyer this is the this is the procedural dribs and drabs before the show goes live in october we're all waiting for that season to kick off and it's gonna be a big season. This is someone who's alleged to have done some pretty significant financial crimes. So the idea that they're trying to knock this down is, I mean, reasonable, right? They're trying to get their client the best possible terms that they can. Of course, they're going to do this. But still, this is going to go to court. This is going to happen. This is going to be really wild to see what the defense ends up being and what the case ends up being. 
I think all signs kind of indicate like, hey, this isn't fraud. This is kind of negligence. Hey, we kind of messed up. Our bad. But we're going to see if that gets trotted out in the court of law. And it's going to be fascinating to see, honestly. So uh, in the procedural steps, lawyers are going to do this stuff. But, you know, come October when, when it goes down, that's really when we see uh, what, they, what they really have in store. But Will, what do you think? Yeah, this article is really fascinating. So I encourage everyone to go take a, a look at it. Most of the points here made by St. Bigfoot's defense is that the extradition treaty did not allow for the uh, alleging of other crimes or tacking on other crimes after the extradition had occurred. The prosecution's coming back and saying, no, we can do that if there's consent given by the country uh, that has extradition treaty with the U.S., in this case, the Bahamas. So it's going to be back and forth. The one alleged crime here that's really important is that $40 million check that St. Bankman-Fried allegedly sent to a Chinese communist official in order to unfreeze certain accounts owned by Alameda, uh, the research firm that was behind a lot of the intertangled uh, funds between FTX and uh, Alameda itself. So that, I think, is going to be a point of contention. Why? Because that headline caught a lot of people's eyes, right? So St. Bankman-Fried obviously took a lot of damage, hurt retail a lot. But if you really want to go to like a political level, just get the Chinese Communist Party involved and you all of a sudden have like every single person in the US, especially in politics, going to be jumping on this and giving their opinion. And if there's going to be some sort of like talk about this and the extradition treaty really is going to become important here. So we'll see what the judge ultimately decides uh, if it's going to be included or if not. To be frank, it almost doesn't matter from just looking at the facts right now if more things are tacked on, because at a certain point, you just reach it where there's so many years onto a sentence that could likely be going against Sigmund Freed that it doesn't really matter. But I think the prosecutors are going to push as hard as they can. I'll throw it back to you, Wendy. So two things. First thing is, I'm not like a big blame person, but in this particular case, we had a crypto assets company go overseas to run their business. The reason why they went overseas to run their business is because the public servants refused to give any type of clarity as to what a crypto asset is. And we've known that they haven't been doing their job since 2017. So really, the SEC is kind of to blame for this. And same with the CFTC and other types of public servant agencies. Also, too, I think the biggest thing here that they're going to go after is probably going to be the campaign finance violations. And I think that that's the most interesting part. The reason being is it's okay to bribe politicians. It's okay to lobby and to spend money that way. But then if you get in trouble for something, that's when they actually call you out. So it's going to be interesting to see if they keep this charge or they dismiss it, because if they do keep it, that that's going to open up a whole can of worms and it's going to cause a lot of issues and attention on that particular law and other people that may be doing unscrupulous activities as far as giving money to public servants. I'll pick it up. One more thought here, if I may. If I may do that. Commodities thing is also interesting here. So the defense is saying that St. Bigfoot Freed's FTX and Alameda Research were not uh, under U.S. law in this instance for commodities because they're outside the U.S. or operating in the Bahamas. And that will be an interesting point to be brought forward by the prosecutors if they're going to push forward on uh, what was like illegally being manipulated or not, what was being manipulated or illegally used by FTX and Alameda Research. Uh, because there is like that dispersion or like that geographic boundary between the Bahamas and the U.S. In this case, the prosecutors have always shot back and they've already said that you know, these markets are intertwined and therefore what FTX was doing with commodities, probably Bitcoin in this instance, was impacting U.S. customers. So there is standing in that case. But I think that could have like long reaching effects in other markets as well. Like if, if there's offshore exchanges are also trading Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies seen as commodities in the U.S., 
in this case goes and says like, hey, you guys were manipulating this commodity, you know, that could have far-reaching ramifications for other exchanges. So I'm also looking to that point. We'll see what happens there. Zach, I'll throw it to you for our next story. Other exchanges, nice segue. Let's do it. We're talking about Gemini. Big piece in Bloomberg came out where a couple of reporters over at Bloomberg talked to something like a dozen or more sources familiar with the Gemini crypto exchange and the current state of their business. Now, they've been looking elsewhere. They're facing significant legal challenges. The SEC is coming after them. There's a whole thing with Genesis, this disclosure. Genesis, like Coindesk, is also owned by Digital Currency Group. Doesn't mean we're not going to give this a fair shake, though, of course. There's a lot going on in this piece, a lot to unpack uh, as the Winkvoss twins, perhaps two of the biggest names in the crypto sphere, and of course, early investors in Bitcoin itself, struggle to right the ship over at Gemini, despite A, market headwinds and some additional woes. I'm going to toss this straight to Jen for her thoughts. What's your read on this piece? Pretty interesting news analysis from Bloomberg over the weekend, taking a look at Gemini and its uh, current situation. Yeah, there's a quote in the piece by uh, Cornell professor Eswar Prasad, and he said that the skepticism of retail investors burned by crypto could make it difficult for an exchange like Gemini to find a suitable niche. So I think it's interesting that they're dealing with such regulatory headwinds here in the US recently. You know, they went to the SEC and they're trying to get that lawsuit dropped against their EARN program. They just really seem to not be able to push past. And it, I see a lot of similarities between Gemini and regulators and Binance and regulators all, all that time ago when like it felt like every time we were hearing about Binance, they were up against another regulator. I think it's maybe going to be tough as the international community kind of bands together for global crypto regulation for exchanges like Gemini, not only Gemini, but other centralized exchanges to find a pocket or a niche where they can operate and continue to innovate and release products like Earn. I know later uh, we're going to talk about the crypto regulation that's going on in India and some of the discussions that are being had at the G20. And I just think it's going to become more and more difficult. And we're going to see exchanges, you know, go to other jurisdictions, but those other jurisdictions are going to have to, you know, have regulation that has some semblance of other jurisdictions around the world. And it's just going to become tighter. That said, I think that we're going to be able to push forward. And the industry is going to look really different than it looks now, but people are going to be able to operate in it, just maybe not in the way that we're operating in it now. Well, Juicy stories, Monday, Tuesday is hurt the week. I don't know. Every day should be a Monday or Tuesday in the hash because we got some, some good stories. I, the one thing that stuck out to me was like the, the Gemini Facebook thing here. Uh, the Gemini, uh, the Zuckerberg or the, the twins here are going up against Zuckerberg. And there's just like always been so much back and forth. Zuckerberg has been like just you know ran over so many different times. Been Capitol Hill talking about like so many different products that Facebook is trying to launch in Meta, and Meta hasn't done so well. But then it just swings right back and hits these guys. Right now they're like fighting for their lives. They're fighting for Gemini. They have like this huge thing with the SEC going on. There's a Chapter 11 bankruptcy that intertwines a lot of their assets. Now they're looking overseas to keep the company alive. It's just funny how there's like always a next chapter or drama within like the Zuckerberg versus twins dispute here. And I'm all for it. I hope it continues. For the Gemini front, I do hope that part is resolved because there is a lot of customers who have a ton of funds locked up in Gemini Earn and they have not been able to get those funds yet. But $900 million was locked up in there since November of last year. And we thought that we might have some clarity as of this month in May with a big uh, price to be paid from Genesis to Gemini, about $300 million, I believe, was owed. Uh, but that did not seem to come to pass. It seems like they 
not make that payment, Genesis being the entity. So we'll have to continue to wait to see what occurs there. Zach? Yeah, I guess my question with this piece is like, is this a Gemini piece or is this like a broader market piece, right? A lot of the stuff that we're seeing in this piece, I think is like representative of what's happening in the industry writ large, right? Like trading volumes are down. All these exchanges are just trying to figure out if they can set up some new products overseas, whether it's Coinbase and Bermuda or exchanges elsewhere, right? So I feel like, actually I'll pose this to Wendy. I feel like the central question of this piece, is this piece really about Gemini or is it really about what's going on in the broader crypto markets uh, as it relates to how it's impacting Gemini's business? I'll toss it to you, Wendy. I think this story is a big nothing burger. The reason why it is is number one, we're in a bear market. Obviously, like volumes and exchange users are going to go down a bit because a lot of people are losing interest in crypto. And then we have all these predatory regulations or the thought of regulations coming to the US. So it makes sense that all the companies that have been on the up and up and doing things properly um, in this country, that they're going to look to other markets. It makes no sense for them to continue to stay here to waste money here because we have, we have no idea what's going to be happening with regulations. Um, so to me, it's a big nothing burger. I think it makes sense business-wise. And I think that Mr. Zuck is just trying to stay relevant for lots of different reasons. Facebook had a terrible rebrand when they rebranded into Meta. It didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. So he's got to stay relevant somehow. But we also know that Facebook is one of the more predatory social media platforms out there. And I can't wait for that platform to slowly just completely go away forever and people to use other real decentralized <laughs> platforms in America, which probably won't happen. Do you see that Mark Zuckerberg tweet yesterday, or maybe it was a Facebook post of him doing a Murph challenge? That was, that was pretty awesome. Go check that out. It's like no. a very physically intense challenge. You would not expect Mark Zuckerberg to be the one to do it. He's he completed it yesterday. Yeah, go check it out. <laughs> I wish we had the tweet here handy, but Mark Zuckerberg stays winning. Stays winning. And he's a robot. That could explain some things. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. We're going to go over to Bitcoin land and talk about Bitcoin mining. The Bitcoin mining difficulty is supposed to go up about 3% in the next few hours, bringing us over 50 trillion difficulty. Difficulty is a self-measurement of how fast and long it takes to make Bitcoin blocks. It must be made about every 10 minutes. If they're coming in too fast or too slow, the Bitcoin network readjusts until it makes it about perfect 10-minute block times. As more hash power or miners are added to the network, we see the difficulty increase or change depending on how many miners are there on the network. We have a lot of mining activity right now. So Bitcoin is about to break past 50 trillion for the first time ever. Pretty high mark. At the same time, we have Tether, the largest stablecoin by market cap, jumping into Bitcoin mining. This comes right after they just purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin to add to their own books. So they are investing even more into Bitcoin infrastructure with the mining activity down in South America. Wendy, I feel like the story fits you. I kind of like you have a Bitcoin theme going on. It's in the background, but you still love Bitcoin. I feel like you really like both these stories. I love Bitcoin. I, Bitcoin was the first um, crypto asset I ever purchased. I think good things about it. Lo loves it. I don't know if you guys saw her little video that she did. I because did. We, I we love do love awesome. Bitcoin because um, we're messing with the big boys now. Bitcoin is supposed to be fun, you guys. Do you like 
that miners are able to make more money doing the thing that they love to do? Isn't that the whole purpose is to operate in this true decentralized economy? Um, so I think that Bitcoin should be used however um, it wants to be used. And I actually pulled up the Bitcoin halving countdown. Um, it looks like, this is according to NiceHash, it looks like we have approximately 299 days and halving will um, take place on March 24th, 2024. So I don't know. I'm excited about everything related to Bitcoin, especially BRC20 tokens and ordinals and all of the other cool things that coincide with it. And I love to see the miners getting paid and... That's I have to say about that because we didn't have Bitcoin mining capitulation this time around due to a lot of different factors, in my opinion. Jen, I saw your hand, though. Okay, ready for the hard hitting question? Well, is this good or bad? Oh, good or bad. <laughs> this is good that is bad. a hard question, actually. This is a pretty, pretty fair question. Uh, I think it's good overall. Like the more difficulty goes up, the quote unquote more secure the network is. You can get into that. It could be a whole discussion. On the other side, the bad side is it's harder for miners to make money. Like this whole ordinals and inscriptions thing that uh, Wendy was referring to there, that's been great it's because green. we've seen fees go up for Bitcoin. Typically, Bitcoin fees are about 1% to 2% of Bitcoin miners' revenue. It's been closer to 5 to 10% recently because there's a lot of people inscribing Bitcoin NFTs right onto the Bitcoin blockchain. And I've made one myself. They're really fun. They're really easy to do now. Like you can snipe NFTs on Bitcoin for the first time ever. I was doing it yesterday from a browser on my computer, way that wasn't possible two years ago, really. There's ways of doing it possibly, but not a lot of people were thinking about it. So it's good that that is occurring. At the same time, the miners are not making a ton of money yet. We need to see the price of Bitcoin appreciate more. But then we just have the same game happen again, Jen, where difficulty goes up because there's more miners playing the game. The song and dance continues. Forever. Isn't that the way that it's supposed to be, though? Like it is. It okay, is. so why people? Mad? <laughs> what a bittersweet little. Like we little have a more secure network. People here. are making a little bit of more money. It's when you're mining. It's basically you're playing the long game. There, you know that, or you have the assumption that Bitcoin could potentially go up over time. So isn't that a good thing, especially for the network? And we do have layer two solutions. We've got the Lightning Network that lowers fees down, but then at the same time, you're substituting, um, or not fee, not the fees go down, but the faster transactions, but you're substituting security for that. So I think it's a good thing. I love seeing the ecosystem grow. We like competition. Well, how, what, like, what does this mean for all the publicly traded Bitcoin mining firms, Will? It's been kind of a rough go for them, uh, maybe not of late, but uh, as it relates to sort of, I don't know, their valuations, like, is this good news on those side? You know, all these firms rushed to go public. They kind of got smacked in the face because of it, just given the way things timed out in the market. Is this good news for them? What, how does it look like for them? Yeah, good question. I think we have a diverse enough set of public miners to see like different strategies and approaches. So there's like over 20 at this point that are like a, on NASDAQ or London stock exchanges, like pretty big stock exchanges. And everyone sort of went through different problems. So like Argo blockchain, they launched a new site in Texas. And right when they launched it, they got hit by really hard natural gas prices. Coindesk did a great job covering that. And they basically went insolvent because of it and had to pivot the entire operation, narrowly avoided chapter 11 bankruptcy. Other miners like Cypher Mining, they basically stayed quiet during 2022 and then came out of the gates in 2023, made a ton of Bitcoin immediately from high transaction fees and are just doing awesome. So it's, it's sort of a spread based on like when you were timing things correctly. Just like trading, Bitcoin mining can be very similar. It's all about the factors and externalities that you can't really predict. So yeah, that's my take on it, Zach. Mm -hmm. All right, Jen, I think you have the last story of the day. I'm going to throw it your way. All right, we are going off to India, where crypto exchanges are in survival mode. So this story talks about the likes of CoinDCX, CoinSwitch, and WazRx. 
and more that are trying to extend their runways and survive the bear market. They're cutting costs where possible, renegotiating contracts, conducting layoffs in an attempt to make it to the bull market. All of this while the Reserve Bank of India is trying to attract attention towards how crypto can hurt or completely change the global economy as part of the G20 discussions. Zach, I'm going to toss this one off to you. You know, you asked a question earlier about the Gemini story. Like, is this a Gemini story or is this just indicative of the markets at large? Like, what do you think of what's going on in India? Yeah, Jen, you read my mind. I mean, I really do think it's a sector-wide issue, right? And you're seeing some of these numbers, these drawdowns, these cuts, anything to get through to the next good time. But I will say India remains the most entertaining crypto roller coaster out there, even better than you know, a price chart of some wild S coin, right? India is always vacillating between here's a hyper bullish development and here's a hyper bearish development. And we always see it in the regulatory context in India. A few years ago, there was, you know, the, the, the threat of basically an outright ban, something similar to what China pursued. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Royal Bank of India stepped in and said, hey, no, we're going to regulate this thing. And everyone was like, oh, yay, like India crypto is it's here. It's going to be amazing. And then subsequently, we've seen some of that, uh, some of that excitement uh, become deflated out of that balloon, right? As uh, both market realities and perhaps a more strict stance on crypto than was initially anticipated have come to light. So this sort of continues, I think, that long-standing theme of it's really hard to assess where the Indian crypto market is as it relates to the global picture for cryptocurrency. And I think this just kind of adds, especially like specifically on the regulatory side, just adds sort of further murkiness to what uh, people the world over are viewing of that market. So I'll throw it to Will, but uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with Zach on this. I think India is just a different case example because they've had the history going back and forth on things. And then also the tax licensing that they published last year was pretty devastating to that market, right? It was like a 30% on uh, just all crypto tax, uh, crypto taxes and then 1% on like transaction fees. So that's pretty difficult, right? Why would you trade in that environment or even build in that environment? But on top of it, it's a tough bear market. So like Nansen this morning published a note from their CEO that they just laid off about 30% of their staff. Nansen was one of the big success stories the last three years, and even they are having to do layoffs, right? So not picky on them at all, but you know, the fact that a very strong data team that a lot of people in the industry know about had to pursue layoffs as a strategy to survive into the next market tells you where most people are at. And Coindesk has done a good job of like sort of laying out who has been caught in this. There's about 30,000 plus people laid off in the crypto industry according to like those recent numbers. So that's a sizable amount of people in crypto. In 2018, 2019, during the last bear market, you could probably get most of people in crypto in a large auditorium. And then it grew so fast uh, during 2021, 2022, that you could not do that anymore. And now we're getting back to that. Maybe it could be like a little bigger. Maybe it could feel like Miami Beach Convention Center at this point, but it's definitely going back down in size. I'll throw it over to you, Wendy. Um, one of the things I want to say is a shout out to all of my Indian audience. You guys are amazing. I've got quite a few of you that watch my channel. So thank you so much. Also, too, I don't think that this story is a big story, primarily because like we all know that crypto bear markets are real. They happen. We all know that Bitcoin drops between a certain percentage. And I'm just not understanding why companies aren't planning a little bit better for that um, and mitigating that type of risk. Like I feel like some of these crypto asset companies should be hiring like tech, like technical analysis to kind of look at the charts, and be like, Hey, maybe we should consider, you know, cashing out here or doing this, moving these reserves there for those types of reasons. It feels like a lot of companies don't do that. And then the bear market just happens like out of the blue and then they're completely confused and they start firing people. But at the same time, it's like, you know, that we're going to get a bear market. It's like historic, especially for traditional assets too. So I don't know. I wish that they would do a better job 
with that. But as far as the back and forth regulation that goes over in India, I think it's ridiculous. I think all these public servants on a global scale just need to get it together and figure it out. Jen or Zach, I don't know. Um, I have something to add super quick. I I just want to add that I think the atmosphere in India has kind of accelerated what's going on there. So when these taxes were introduced, there were a lot of people in the industry that were speculating, like maybe this is going to push exchanges to close, or this is going to push users to look here. And a lot of Indian users have actually moved from local exchanges to international exchanges. That coupled with Indian exchanges um, having a hard time to find banking services and also having a hard time with the universal payment system. So their on and off ramps, I think, have contributed to this as well, which are factors outside of the bear market that I think are worth bringing up. But Zach, I'll toss it off to you. Yeah, it's always worth remembering that, you know, exchanges are on the front lines of, you know, declines in crypto trading volume, right? And they, you know, surge in good times and shrink. They're usually the first to shrink in bad times. So we keep seeing that play out time and time again. All right, that's it for the show today. Thanks for being with us on a Tuesday that felt like a Monday. It's a case of the Mondays here on The Hash. Taco I'm Zach Tuesday. Seward. That's Will Oh, yeah, it's Taco Tuesday, not Manic Jensen Monday. Gosh, Wendy Wendio, <laughs> Taco Queen. Anyway, that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. We wish you well. Have a great day out there. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 